Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to a Fremantle Australia podcast, recorded at the Sydney studios. And a warning, this podcast contains adult themes and explicit language. So tell me, tell me, tell me, I need to know, how did it happen? What did you do? Oh, tell me, tell me. I've got all forever to tell you this, I just need to know. My name is Julia Robson. I'm a private investigator, and you're listening to Chasing Charlie. Charlie was a conman who'd first been brought to my attention by my client Vivian. Looking for love, she'd met Charlie online, but he had turned out to be the worst possible kind of date. He had conned her out of almost $70,000, shattered her confidence, abused her trust, and lied about who he was. And it was now up to me to find him. I had worked out that Charlie Freeman was actually Paul Brian Gill. Piecing together Charlie's life up to meeting Vivian had started as a slow burn, but now my investigation had kicked up several notches and I was getting a deluge of intel on this man, and the more I learnt, the more my opinion of him dropped. Born into an affluent family, Charlie, a lifelong womaniser, had been kicked out of the family home at 18. A river of women passed through his life and usually overlapped. After being locked up for fraud in the 90s, charged with taking other people's identities, ousted on New Zealand TV, busted online for defrauding trade site customers, and now with a warrant out for his arrest, Charlie had skipped the country, left New Zealand, and arrived in the idyllic French Riviera. It was 2009. We moved to the south of France from London in, in, in 2009 and very sadly my husband broke his leg the day we arrived. He fell over in the garden and we needed some gardening work done and I put out a little advert on there saying, is anybody able to come and help, blah, 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 and Gail all contacted us and he seemed very charming and he built up a relationship with us. Stupidly, we gave him some money up front to buy the material with, 2,000 euros, on, by cheque. And never heard from him again, never saw him again. This is Margot, one of the many expats in France that Charlie was to rip off. He had a preferred target market for these types of scams. Women and the elderly were his favourite. And if they just so happened to be incapacitated as well, then he had his optimum victim trifecta. I couldn't let it go and I did a lot of email research. And I found his daughters, their, their Twitter accounts, and 
they were talking about new iPads they'd just got, and that was just after we'd mm-hmm. lost our 3,000 euros. And I'm so, you can imagine how I felt. But he, he had a series of mobile phones, and he kept, obviously bought a card for 30 days and kept changing the number because you'd, you'd reach him and then never hear again, and then you'd reach him and never hear again. And, and it was just, I think he, at first he did say, I'll come and do it, I'll come and make good, I'll, I'll come and do it, and then just wouldn't answer any phone calls, wouldn't I? and that was it. Just gradually just lost contact with the man. It's a classic con man trick that I have seen countless times. Keep the amounts relatively low, but the number of victims high. Often the targets of this type of crime give up and cut their losses, which is exactly what con men rely on. People tend to get tired of hearing all the same excuses. I'll sort it out next week. My mate's going to lend me the money to pay you back. I'm the victim in all of this. Send me your banking details. Blah, blah, blah. Most people reach their limit and tend to forget about it and put it all behind them. But Margot didn't want to give up quite so easily. And I rang up. I obviously I put an advert in the Anglo website saying, "Beware of this man. This is what happened to us." And then that's when got in contact and said, "Please give him a chance. You know, he's been down on his luck, and he'll he'll see you right. Just give him a chance." The person who had got in touch was the person we are referring to as Jackie. Charlie's second wife, the one that was in fair go in the last episode. Despite Jackie pleading Charlie would make it right, Margot says she got hateful emails from them suggesting that she and her husband shouldn't even be asking for their money back, that life had been cruel to them, that they didn't understand. All the usual heartstring delaying tactics, if you ask me. Charlie's method of scam always started off simple enough. In this case, putting ads on local expat sites offering his services as a handyman. If someone answered, he would aim to meet them as soon as possible. Charlie was a smooth talker, presenting himself as experienced, trustworthy and convincing. And if people were looking for recommendations, well, easy. He made multiple fake online accounts recommending his own services. It's no surprise people were taken in. I went to the local police station with uh, a friend of mine, and Julia, they didn't want to know. It was like, expat, we're not interested. We'll fill out the report because we have to, but they really... Because what upset me was we gave him a cheque, and surely our bank would have been able to trace where the cheque had been cashed. Didn't want to know. So I just... It just upsets me that he got away with it. If he'd have given him the 2,000 cash, Fair enough, but it was a check which would have gone through the normal route and would have, you would have been able to trace him. They mm. didn't want to know. Now, as an ex-copper myself, I understand that resources are tight and you can't investigate everything. But I also understand how frustrating it is when you're on the receiving end of this type of inaction. So, when the authorities failed to act, a frustrated Margot turned to the media. It was November 2009 when a journalist for the Riviera Reporter got assigned the job. Up to the gills and fishy business was the frankly brilliant headline that publicly denounced Paul Gill's criminal activity in the area. 
is the same headline that had come up in my online searches for anything under any of Charlie's names, and the headline that had led me to reach out to the journalist who kindly put Margot in touch with me. Here's some of what was written. Paul Gill is a convicted fraudster, now preying on Riviera expats. Shortly after one of his victims contacted the reporter, several others came forward. Our file is growing on him by the day. Paul Gill's methods are simple and effective. He looks and acts credible, asks for deposits in cash or by cheque, with the order not written in and disappears with the money only to make excuses when asked for it back. He always has a story ready. He contests everything his victims claim. The article, once published, was flooded with comments by more and more people who had been scammed by Charlie. I had the unfortunate pleasure of meeting this scumbag in July. My clients had a very nice antique desk to be renovated. I had two recommendations via Anglo Info for Mr Gill, and it turned out that the two people were the same. His wife. I too have been scammed this year by Mr Paul Gill. I live in New Zealand and was scammed with the purchase of cooler decking materials to the amount of $2,170. We were scammed earlier this year for $5,430. Many victims describe Charlie as a narcissist. Perhaps only a narcissist would respond to an article warning others about themselves. It seems Charlie just couldn't help himself. Going by the username Attacked, this was Charlie's response in the online comment section. It was now the 19th of February, 2010. It is obvious that Mr Mike Mead has promoted himself, as all media do, to judge and jury. Forgetting about all the workers that perform work and never get paid, or who are fed an array of excuses by the client so they don't have to pay. There are, in most cases, two sides to every story. But hey, that doesn't sell magazines, eh, Mike? After all, Brits are God, or should I say, they think they are. History tells the same pathetic story. Nothing has changed. Goodbye and get a life to all you do-gooders out there with such short memories. Charlie even had to follow up the next day with more to say. I have sat back and watched with interest the comments, yes, I'm still here living the good life on the Riviera, but not having to deal with people who want something for nothing anymore. There is a God after all. Life is great. Mike and all you merry men, try being a lawyer if you have the intelligence. The online back and forth between Charlie, the journalist, and various victims continued. Ah, Mr Gill, nice to see you're alive and kicking. Small world. It's all going to be catching up soon, my friend. Go fuck yourself. My, my, Mr. Attacked Gill. Sensitive little scumbag, aren't you? Despite Charlie's, the sensitive little scumbag's, insistence that he was still in France and living the good life, it wouldn't be long before he bolted. By April, he had left France and slipped into Australia. Here, his ventures into the world of online dating would lead him to Vivian, to me and, as I was to discover, to a whole other world of women that had answered his Craigslist ad. Welcome to Brisbane, where the local time is 9.17. It's 26 degrees, overcast, and with storms predicted. (laughs) 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In the short time that Charlie had been in the French Riviera, he had managed to scam thousands of euros out of its expat community, posing as a tradesman and taking money for work he never did. Rumbled by a local reporter, things had now got sticky for him, in more ways than one. I had found a dating profile under one of Charlie's usernames, and although I could never be 100% sure it was his, he was the only person I could find that used that particular alias. All clues pointed to the fact it was around this time Charlie had been busy getting himself acquainted with online dating, and it was later revealed to me that despite still being married to his second wife Jackie, with whom he now had two children, he was using money earmarked for rent to fly to Paris for casual hookups. When she eventually found out, Jackie did what most women would do. She took their children and went back home to New Zealand. Charlie, of course, couldn't go back to New Zealand. There's a warrant out for his arrest there, remember? So he came to Australia, landed on Queensland's sunny Gold Coast, and reinvented himself as Aston Logan. With killer surf, a throbbing nightlife, and breathtaking beaches, the Gold Coast ranks as one of Australia's top tourist destinations. And there's continual building development to keep up with demand. Charlie saw an opening. That's the thing I was learning about Charlie. He didn't have a type of con he would stick to or a particular victim he would aim for. He would scam anyone. He'd look at a situation, see what he might be able to get out of it and mould the con to fit. For an area with continuous building demands, Charlie saw his chance and reinstated one of his favourite tricks – Advertising timber sales, collecting thousands of dollars up front and delivering nothing. Luckily for me, he had got sloppy with his contact details and was using the same name and number as he had in the past, which meant people could start to connect the dots. The online comments from the Up to the Gills article had kept growing and was now practically bursting. I'm disgusted with this lowlife. My husband and I have just been scammed of $1,100 of Quilla timber. Once again, all the excuses under the sun and no delivery of timber. He advertised in the Gold Coast paper, endless phone calls and emails to no avail. Look out, he has landed in Australia. It just happened to us. $280 deposited and no timber. Every excuse under the sun. His truck's broken down, we'll get the timber the next day. Still no timber. Also ripped off by the Quilla scam. 50% deposit down, no product delivered. Paul Gill's phone number in Australia is 0488 237 851 and his bank account details are BSB 124 001. 
account 2139 8445 if anyone can make good use of these. Also, uh, email address is just.timber at yahoo.com. What a wanker. With a word about him starting to get out, Charlie started planning his next move and returned to online dating on the hunt for wealthy women. It was around this time Charlie first dabbled with the Craigslist personals. That's the great thing with online dating. There's a site to suit every need. So if you don't find what you want on one, you can look somewhere else. It seemed Charlie was finding this out for himself. The personals in Craigslist, which, by the way, no longer exist, had the reputation of being used by those wanting to be discreet. Just what Charlie wanted. Personally, I believe Charlie chose Craigslist because there was no requirement to create a dating profile. No requirement to show photographs of yourself, describe yourself by choosing options in a box, or try and narrow the field by describing your ideal partner. Anyone who answered Charlie's ad would become a target, and he could mould his answers to fit. One of the things I was genuinely enjoying about this case was learning that so many of the people Charlie had ripped off were doing their best to find him themselves. These were no sitting ducks. Some were even doing their own undercover detective work. Remember Margot from the French Riviera? I just couldn't let it go because I was so incensed about what he'd done to us. I did some research and I saw that he was enticing women. I think he was other, yeah, it was Craigslist. Now, we know what this ad said. Remember, it's the one Vivian answered, the millionaire looking for someone to share his life with, a life full of travel and sailing around the world. And that's when I posed as this woman. Yeah, it's crazy. Tell me about that. I don't know. It must have been through Googling. I just Googled him and realised that he was contacting women on, on Craigslist, obviously hoping to find rich single women and scam them, take their life savings, as he did on several occasions. Yeah. So um, it, I carried on talking to him for a while. I, I posed as this, I got a picture of some blonde woman in California and made up a name, and but it all fizzled out. And I think we even arranged that it would be nice to meet somewhere or something. And my husband said, look, you're getting in too deep, just get out. <laughs> just get out. How did you get all these women through there? Because, I mean, he, the man looks like a rat. He's really unattractive. He, how did he manage to scam all these women? If he was George Clooney lookalike, we could understand it. But he's a very unpleasant-looking man, and I said, how he manages it? <laughs> In his younger years, Charlie was a handsome man, recognised as being from a successful family. But now his front teeth had fallen out, he looked much older than his years, and with his nomadic lifestyle, heavy smoking, and alleged addiction to prescription drugs, he was looking anything but a charming womanizer. But what he looked like and what he sounded like were two different things. Even Margot had had to concede that. Oh, yes. He's very, very charming, and I could imagine him reeling people in. Yeah, he certainly did have a gift of the gab. Charlie was persuasive and knew all the right things to say to women. Sure, he'd have to spend a bit of time grooming his next potential conquest, but almost all the women I'd spoke to who had any romantic relationship, had all agreed on one thing. Charlie was fantastic in bed. But before he could prove his sexual prowess, he had to reel these women in. Oh, I'll be damned if I understand why he was charming and had such charisma. I guess it was just my own vulnerable state and his tremendous acting. <laughs> 
My marriage was falling apart. I'd just taken a new job that required tons of travel. And my last job had been exhausting and debilitating. I felt insecure and frightened about myself and whether I could do everything I needed to do to support my family. This is Rachel. These are her words, but not her voice. Rachel is a successful, career-driven, international woman who often travelled to Australia on business. The hours and lifestyle dedicated to her work had caused her marriage to suffer, and she had turned to Craigslist for discreet companionship during her regular business trips overseas. She had answered one of Charlie's ads, this one saying he was a property developer, with the knowledge that she was likely to embark on a secret affair, but she would never have guessed the depths of the secrets he truly held. He offered a kind of support I didn't have anywhere. He was interested in me, telling me I was beautiful, appearing to look out for me. He was unconventional, funny and very smart in a quick-witted way. When Rachel was in town for work, their affair was passionate and sexually motivated. Charlie would come to her hotel where he could safely keep up the facade he was a wealthy businessman, spinning his usual tales of a millionaire lifestyle, boats in California and an apartment in France, yet somehow still managing to get Rachel to pay for everything. Their relationship would last almost two years, and while a lot of it played out over email and phone, the sexual elements were continuous. Never exclusive, Charlie would love to gloat to Rachel about his other sexual conquests, sending her pictures of women in intimate, compromising positions. Other women who had been intimate with Charlie also spoke of his phone photo library of female conquests. His screenshot on his phone was a vagina. You know the photograph when your phone goes back to a photograph on the time? Yeah, that photograph was a vagina. Do you know whose it was? No, they all look the same. There was just a vagina. Well, it makes sense. He's a cunt, so his phone should have a cunt on it. So... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I've got to admit that the revelation Charlie was using intimate photos of women who trusted him as screensavers and that he was sharing those with other people, did catch me off guard. Even by Charlie's standards, that was low. Rachel confided that she had shared intimate photos of herself with Charlie back in the days when she trusted him. Now she describes Charlie as a complete sociopath and lives in fear of where these pictures may end up. Thankfully, in recent years, sharing any intimate photo without prior consent is now prohibited throughout Australia. Obviously, 
When it comes to this kind of photo, the simplest thing to do to protect yourself is to just not send them. But if you do, then please make sure you can't be identified. Don't show your face, avoid any tattoos or other identifying features. Even apps that claim to delete images shortly after opening aren't foolproof. So you need to protect yourself rather than leave it up to the host site. Back to Rachel. Aside from concerns her photos might be shared and the fictitious persona that Charlie played with her, he never actually took her for any cash. But what he did do was lead her well and truly up the garden path. Rachel fell deeply in love with Charlie and had been deciding to leave her husband for him. At one point, he said he was coming to live with me overseas. We were scheduled to meet at the airport and he didn't show before the flight. I got on the flight and when I arrived in Dubai, there was an email that he had been hit by a car and was in hospital. Weeks later, he sent me a photo of him with a leg in a cast and maybe an arm, no doubt all fake. I remember when he didn't show up at the airport, I had asked at the counter, but there was no one with his name on the flight. Of course, he was using a fake name, so that wouldn't have been useful information anyway. Rachel now finds it insane that she fell for so many of his stories, but I was starting not to be shocked by Charlie, what he had the power to make people believe, or what he got up to. I had learned that all the time Charlie had been involved with Rachel, he'd been busy in many other ways. I had been keeping a close eye on the growing warnings about Charlie's Gold Coast timber scams. The online paper was urging people to come forward. Gill's Australian victims must make formal complaints to the Australian police. Give them all the evidence you can and include a printout of this webpage. Short of hiring Clint Eastwood, lodging a formal complaint in Australia is the only way to stop him as soon as possible. It transpired that Queensland police had had so many complaints about Charlie that they had in fact already issued a warrant for his arrest. But Charlie had somehow got wind of it. So true to form, yep, you guessed it, he skipped town. He was playing cat and mouse. This time he headed to Adelaide, the capital of South Australia, where somehow, and please don't ask me how, he'd even convinced his wife Jackie to join him with their children and have another go at their marriage. And for what it's worth, he even seemed to try going straight. But neither lasted long. Pretty soon Charlie stopped coming home at night until one day Jackie came home to find Charlie had disappeared altogether, left Adelaide and moved to Melbourne. This was in 2011, and at the exact same time Vivian was under Charlie's spell, Rachel was considering her future options with Charlie. There was yet another woman in Melbourne who had answered one of his Craigslist ads and thought that she was the centre of his world. When I finally did meet Emma, the similarities to Vivian were eerie. Hi. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> yeah, it's not really a quick for the weather. <laughs> oh. Can I give you a hug? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you 
Emma had been going through a nasty divorce with an abusive ex when she met Charlie, who, as he had with Rachel, had stepped up to the role of the supportive boyfriend. He was in the guise of Charlie Freeman. That was the name he'd chosen for himself. And apparently it meant free man, free man. Charlie means free man and free man. So there was the irony was that the name means free man, free man. A few years before meeting Charlie, Emma's marriage of over 20 years had ended under extremely difficult circumstances. Her ex-husband had allegedly been hiding both serious drug use and infidelity from her. Things just really went strange as soon as, as soon as I got pregnant. The sex completely stopped, which was really unusual, and I always thought, I wonder if he's doing someone else. Do you think he was? Oh, definitely he was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I found that out later on. Yeah, and the violence. The violence started kicking in, and it wasn't really until two years after I left him that we were finally having a conversation one day. I'd say, well, you're doing ice. And he said, oh, I did a hell of a lot of ice the year before you left me and the year after you left me. And that was when I went, oh, my God, he's been involved with ice all this time. And it explained why we were going into debt. It explained why he was getting so angry. It explained a lot of things. By the time Emma met Charlie, although she didn't realise it at the time, she was dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of the myriad of issues she was having with her ex-husband and their ongoing divorce. Being vulnerable, in need of support and with her defences down, Emma made the perfect target for Charlie. I was actually not looking for a relationship, I was just looking for a fuck. Putting it bluntly. Because I hadn't had sex in ages. So it was, it was that time I had a good chat, basically. So I thought, crazy, why not just go and find an anonymous person, chat and leave them. Simple as that. I met a couple of guys on there and I got a few good shags out of it. That was great. Much like Vivian, the casual encounters she had been experiencing on Craigslist had been going well until the day she came across Charlie's post. I found his ad and it was like, you know, millionaire just returned from Europe. You have to be this, you have to be that, you have to have courage. Must be wanting to live and not simply exist, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then at the end it said, and such and such, don't waste my time. And waste was spelt incorrectly. Now, you know, a bit of a bit of a grammar Nazi. So I sent him a message and, and I corrected him and went, waste, W-A-S-T-E, not you know, W-A-I-S-T. You might find a better woman, you know, with a bit better spelling. And so he came back with some banter and it was quite insulting. And I, I just gave it back and it was quite funny. It was quite, he was intellectual when he wanted to be. Um, so yeah, he was, he sort of made me laugh to start with. Emma's story sound familiar? This could have been word for word what Vivian had told me when I asked her how she had met Charlie. I honestly think he would have received many, many responses to his adverts and he could tell by their writing style which were the best ones to respond to. The better the writing style of the higher the likelihood they were educated and would have more money. Given they were also on a sleazy site like Craigslist, there was probably some good reason. Discretion in Rachel's case, only wanting a one-night stand in Emma's. But while Emma had only been looking for a one-night stand initially, Charlie's sexual fantasies required a period of grooming before any new partner would be willing to cooperate with his fantasy. 
submissive sex under the cover of darkness. It was his suggestion, the whole idea, he was going to sneak in um, in the dark and have his way with me and then he was going to leave. We started talking, I reckon it was about two to three months. We'd been talking and we were phoning every day, he was phoning regularly every day. Um, we arranged a meeting. He was coming over to my place and it had to be like a clandestine thing. Oh, he, I had to be in bed. Um, he snuck in. We had awesome sex. There was no lights on, so I couldn't see him. And then he left. Well, I think the beauty of it for him was that nobody got to see what he looked like. <laughs> so had, did you see what he looked like? Not until about a month later and I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was shocked. Yeah, the, the teeth, the wrinkles, the it was really quite shocking. We know that time had not been kind to Charlie's looks. Sending old pictures of himself online was his initial way in. Then, in an effort to avoid disappointment on any first meeting, he groomed his women over the phone, over email and over SMS to make sure their initial rendezvous were carried out in complete darkness. Between his gift of the gab and his skills in the bedroom, he hoped that once they saw him in the cold light of day, these women would overlook the fact he no longer looked anything like his picture. Sadly for them, they did. He sent me a couple of photos. One of the photographs was um, from when he was over in Europe and his hair was a bit fairer and he looks like Paul Hogan in this photograph. So yeah, I had this picture of him from when he was in Europe. He was obviously not smiling. You can't see that he's missing teeth and you can't, it doesn't look all that wrinkly because it's a nicely kind of slightly blurred shot. So yeah, when I finally met him, I was like, whoa. But by that stage, I was kind of hooked. While still boasting about his fake status as a millionaire, instead of the property development story he had spun to Vivian and to Rachel, he was claiming to Emma that he was the director of an engineering business seems unnecessarily complicated to me. Why not just stick to the same story? But he made out like he was a multi-multi-millionaire and, you know, owned property everywhere. He'd been living in Europe for a few years. Apparently he owned an engineering company and he owned yachts and he owned this and he owned that. You know, he's, apparently he lost his teeth on, his, on one of his yachts when a mast swung around and hit him in the teeth. After months of communication with Charlie and the adrenaline rush of a sexual fantasy played out with a stranger, Emma found herself wanting more from him than the one-night stand she'd initially been looking for. Charlie made promises of taking her and her young daughter to France to start a new life. And at this stage, anything was better than the reality she was facing at home and a drawn-out divorce which was now being played out in the courts. Emma needed someone to help her through this tremendously difficult period, and Charlie insisted he was the man for the job. He even came to court and claimed that he was still Charlie Freeman, and I said, I had no idea. I still believed him. I still thought, yeah, he really is who he says he is, because he's prepared to come to court and say it to barristers and, and whatever. So we didn't actually get into the courtroom. We were still just in the, you know, the little rooms. Um, but he sat there and told my barristers, yep, yep, I'm going to take her over to Europe, yep, get him to sign the paperwork. Charlie had become Emma's confidant and the next chapter in her new life. Not a bad place to be when you're setting the stage to take someone 
for all they've got. And it was that day that was saying to me, you got any gold? I've got a friend who's paying double the going rate. You know, if you've got any gold, you want to cash in, give it to me. Next time on Chasing Charlie. He had a really good way of kind of leading you into things and, and getting what he wanted. And what was he like in the bedroom? Excellent. It's true. I have to say it, like, one of the best. And if you could talk to him now, what would you say to him? Such it. That's all. He left me with an STD, which, you know, I'm not real happy about. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, leave a review and recommend to another true crime fan. Make sure to subscribe to Chasing Charlie on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to keep up to date with the latest instalment. If you have further information on this story, please reach out to us at chasingcharlie at fremantle.com. The content of this podcast is a result of Julia Robson's investigation into Charlie and information provided to her by his victims. Some names have been changed to protect the identities of those involved. Chasing Charlie is a Fremantle Australia production. Executive producers Jesse Klass and Liz Burnett. Series producer Rebecca Vallis. Original concept and writing by Julia Robson. Edited and mixed by James Ezra. With additional editing by Katie Morris. Recording and technical assistance by Alex Elliott. Legal and business affairs by Maddie Marchant. Recording assistance by Brendan Ganey and Tom Lawton. With additional research by Georgina Rain. Stefan Dennis plays the voice of Charlie. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, please contact Lifeline on 13114, Beyond Blue on 1300 224636 or another crisis hotline in your local area. We are grateful for the help of the victims and families involved in creating this podcast. Thank you.